Welcome to everyone who's watching on the live stream. The mic kicks in at right the, just the right moment. My name is Adam Curtis, and it is a joy to be with you all as we come to Luke 22. And as we continue through this, this mini-series in Luke's Gospel where we've been looking at some of Jesus' uh, uh, sermons. So we looked at the Sermon on the Plain, and then we've been looking at uh, Luke 21. Now we're moving into Luke 22, where we'll be hearing about uh, the Lord's Supper. But as we come to God's Word, let us come in prayer. Oh, dearest God, King of kings, Lord of lords, we, we come to you this day. We come maybe feeling happy and content, maybe feeling rushed and tired, maybe feeling, feeling uh, weary from the world and all its cares. But we come to you uh, this day and, and this moment from these different uh, situations and positions, asking, Father God, that by the power of your spirit, you might refresh us, you might heal us, you might draw us uh, to Christ again. You might speak uh, to our hearts and to our minds. And by the power of your spirit, through your word preached, you might change us so that we might be more confident in who we are in Christ, so we might stand uh, with Christ, so we might grow into his very likeness. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Who runs the world? Who runs the world? Now, for a certain person in a certain age bracket, who, the, the, the answer to that question, who runs the world, the answer is... Girls! <laughs> but some people might not be so well acquainted with the joyous Beyonce song, Who Runs the World? <laughs> girls, Girls. I won't do the dance move. <laughs> who runs the world? But... Because it is a question we could be like pondering on our heads as, uh, as we've been opening the papers these last few, uh, few weeks. Who runs the world? Is it ran from Moscow or from a bunker in Moscow? Is it, is it one run from Washington? Is it run from London or Paris or Berlin? It doesn't really feel like that way. Where is the world run? Is it one run from Beijing? Who runs the world? And that, uh, that sort of, that question of who runs the world, who makes the decisions, that is sort of the question which helps lead us into this very beginning of Luke 22. Because here, in these first few opening verses, we see very clearly the plans of man. The plans of man in verses 1 to 6. And if you've got your Bibles, just look down with me. We, we, we see almost like a Bond villain-like type, like beginning. We've got this collection of, uh, of villains starting to, to, to gather. We've got chief priests and we've got teachers of the law. And they've got evil plots and evil plans afoot because they want to kill uh, Jesus. But then this dark scene of this sort of Bond villain uh, movie gets even darker. As we see in verse 3, Satan, the prince of darkness himself, enters into Judas. And now we haven't met Satan for quite a few chapters in Luke's Gospel, the last time we heard about Satan was in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus was tempted by Satan three times, and at the end of those three temptations, Satan left Jesus, and he was waiting for an opportune time. And that opportune time has now arrived. This is now that next moment that we hear about Satan's activity, and he enters into Judas. And Judas, he is quite happy to betray his saviour. He's quite happy to betray this, this, this man he spent the last three years 
following and learning and, and seeing. And so this evil plot is devised between the chief priests, the teachers of the law, Satan, Judas. An evil plot is devised, and Satan and Judas, they wait and they watch. But as we're reading sort of the backdrop, we hear the plots of man, well then, we then continue reading into verse 7, and we start to hear about the plots, the plans of God. From verse 7 to 23, we're hearing about the plans of God. And I always think this, this first bit, verses uh, 7 to um, uh, uh, 13, it's, it, it's, it's a bit of an odd bit, really. We, we, we look down and we, we hear Jesus giving quite specific commands. He wants to go and celebrate the Passover, and he has quite a specific location that he wants to go and celebrate it. And he tells Peter and John, you've got to go into the city, and you've got to follow that man with that water jar. And when you follow that man with that water jar, he'll lead you into a house, go into that house, speak to the owner of the house, and ask the owner of that house, if we can use their guest room. And it, it, it is a bit odd. Why is Jesus so specific exactly where he wants to, 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 to eat? And my, my, my ponderings and my wonderings on this partly are, is Jesus is deliberately and very intentionally walking right into the heart of the plot. He's very intentionally going right into the center of, of Jerusalem. He knows that the, 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 the beast has got its claws, its jaws open, and Jesus is deciding to place his head among the teeth. He's walking very intentionally into the lion's den. Because Jesus knows all about this plan. He knows all about this plot. It's not new to him. We, we see how much he knows in verse uh, 21. Verse 21. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. Jesus knows about Judas, and he knows what Judas will do. But Jesus is perfectly happy. He is perfectly willing to go as it has been decreed. He will let this trap be set. He will go as it has been decreed. Because Judas, he may think that he's in control of this situation. Judas is the one watching and waiting. The chief priests, the teachers of the law, they may think we've got him. We've got him. Satan may even think, I've won. I've won. But the plans of God will always trump the plans of man. The plans of God will always trump the plans of man. Do you remember the story of, uh, of Joseph, made uh, famous in our day and age by uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber? But the story of Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, made even more famous by its telling in Genesis. And we have, we have Joseph, and he's sold into slavery by his 11 brothers. They sell him to slavery in Egypt. But while in slavery in Egypt, he actually proves his, his usefulness and he receives God's blessing and actually he saves Egypt from economic disaster and he sort of rises up to come number two in all of Egypt. And in that, in that place of authority, he ends up being able to feed those 11 brothers of his who betrayed him and he brings his father and the 11 brothers uh, in, into Egypt. He feeds them and he, he cares for them. And there's quite a poignant moment right at the end of, uh, of the account of Joseph. A really poignant moment where, 
his 11 brothers are, are struck with remorse and they're struck with guilt about what they've done to their brother Joseph, how they have betrayed him. And Joseph says these words in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, to his, his brothers who betrayed him. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good and for the saving of many lives. You intended it for evil, but God intended it for good and for the saving of many lives. The plans of God will always trump the plans of man. But, but what are the plans of God here in, uh, in Luke chapter 22? What, what plans are going to be fulfilled? Well, I think the, 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 the big one, which Luke is trying to make us uh, aware of, is the Passover is going to be fulfilled. The Passover is mentioned again and again here in these 23 uh, verses. It's mentioned five times. It's sort of like Luke is really making us aware of it. Like verse 1, the Feast of Unleavened Bread called the Passover. Verse 7, then came the day of, of, of unleavened bread on the Passover lamb. Part of the Passover lamb is, is sacrificed. Then he tells his disciples, go and prepare the Passover. This, can we go and eat the Passover here? And then we have these historic sort of words of Jesus when he's talking about the Passover in verse 15. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Luke is making us really aware that the Passover is the big deal here. And here we have Jesus himself saying it. He will not eat the Passover again until it has been fulfilled. So how is the Passover going to be fulfilled? How's that Passover going to be fulfilled? Well, let's just have a little bit of biblical history lesson. So we've, we've, we've talked about Joseph, how God blessed Joseph, and he, Joseph brought his 11 brothers and his father into Egypt. But while in Egypt, they, they multiplied, and this, this family became hundreds of thousands of people. They were there for a long time, and they multiplied. But because they were there for such a long time, the pharaoh of that day died, and a new pharaoh, many generations came along later, who did not remember Joseph and all the good that he had done for the Egyptians. And he saw this huge people, and, and he was fearful of them, so he decided to oppress them. And Pharaoh oppressed the, the people of God with slavery and harsh uh, labor. And so the people of God cried out to God, and God, remembering his covenant, sent Moses to Egypt to rescue his people with ten plagues. And Moses cried out to, to, to Pharaoh, will you let my people go? And plague after plague after plague, Pharaoh said no. And we've hit that ninth plague, and then we come to that tenth and final plague, the death of all the firstborn sons. Any, any firstborn sons in the room? Any firstborn sons? Got a few? Got a few firstborn sons? You would all be dead. <laughs> a bit of remorse there, thank you. <laughs> all the firstborn sons would be dead. God is going to pour out his judgment upon Egypt. But as God is, is, is proclaiming that he will pour out his judgment upon Egypt for the death of all the firstborn sons, he is also making a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. He is making a distinction. Take a lamb, kill the lamb, and place the lamb's blood on the doorframe. Now you may be thinking, why is this doorframe so huge? And the answer to that question is, the Egyptians and the Israelites 
back in the day were taller than me. <laughs> and also, I don't own a saw. <laughs> the Lord God made a distinction. Place the, the blood of the lamb upon the doorframe. And then as my spirit pours out over Egypt, it will bring judgment on the Egyptians, but I will pass over you. I will see the lamb's blood and I will pass over you. Everyone in the room a moment ago who put your hands up because you were the firstborn son, what does that lamb now mean for you? What does the lamb mean for you? (laughs) Suddenly that lamb means everything. The lamb for me. The lamb for me. The lamb for me. God pours out his judgment, but he passes over the the house with the blood of the lamb upon it. The lamb for me. The lamb for me. Yet, when we come here to to Luke 22, and we hear that Jesus is going to fulfill the Passover, what is particularly strange is that in this Passover meal... What is the one item of the Passover meal we never hear about? What's the one item of the meal we never hear about? No lamb. At no point as they're eating this meal do we hear about the lamb, this central item to the Passover meal. Instead, well, what, 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 do, what do we hear about instead? Well, we hear about, we hear about bread. We hear about bread, which is broken. Like how Jesus' body will be broken. And instead of hearing about the lamb, we, well, we, hear about, we, hear about, we hear about wine, which will be poured out in the same way that Jesus' blood will be poured out. We don't hear anything about the lamb because Jesus is telling us his body is now the new lamb. His body that is broken, his blood that is shed. So now that cry doesn't just go through the, the, the minds of a firstborn son, that lamb for me, that lamb for me, that lamb for me. Now that cry rings through all of our ears and all of our, our minds and our hearts, Jesus for me, Jesus for me, Jesus for me, Jesus for me. God's, God's judgment, it poured upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians, but because of the blood of the lamb, it passed over the Israelites. It passed over the Israelites. And God's judgment, it will again pour on the earth. And all people will have to be held to account for their thoughts, their words, their deeds, and their actions. God's judgment will pour again on the earth. But it will pass over all those who are covered by the blood of the Lamb. And what does Jesus say about this? This, this, this bread and this wine, who's it for? It is broken for you. It is poured out for you. It is you who have to come and stand under the blood of the Lamb. It is broken for you. It is poured out for you. But Jesus' blood, it doesn't just cover more people than just the Israelites and the firstborn born sons. It doesn't just cover more people. It also does a deeper work than that original Passover did. Because in Jeremiah 31, 
Uh, God promises a new covenant with his people. He promises a covenant where his law will be written on, on, on heads and upon hearts and all people will know him. And he will forget wickedness and he will forgive sins. And he promises this new covenant to his people. And what do we hear in verse 21? Jesus saying, verse 20, sorry. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus' blood is now that new covenant. It's through Jesus' blood that God's law can be written on our head and our hearts by that indwelling spirit, that that wickedness can be removed and sin can just be forgiven, and that we can all know the Lord. And what's the the main point then of, of, uh, of these words here in Luke? 22. Well, I wonder, I think, is the main point, eat, drink, remember, and live. Eat, drink, remember, and live. Because God's judgment will be poured out upon the earth again. And actually, those chief priests, those teachers of the law, Judas, Satan, they will meet their maker, and they will have to give an account for their crimes. But that is also true of Putin and Assad, and the Taliban, they will meet their makers and they will have to give an account for their crimes. And that is also true for all of us. We will meet our maker. We will have to give an account for the lives which we have lived. And so I think the application then of eating, drinking, remembering, living is come and through faith stand under the blood of the Lamb. Through faith, eat the bread and say, this is Jesus' body broken for me. Drink the wine, this is his blood shed for me. It is through this that my wickedness are removed to the very corners of the earth. It is through this that that sin is gone and I can know the Lord. Come, stand under the blood of the Lamb. Because that is the only place of safety. That is the only place where we will live. And for us, who have walked this path for many years and who know Jesus and who love Jesus very deeply, well then this is that call to us to to deepen that gratitude, to deepen that thanks, to deepen that reality. There is no other place where it is safe. There is nothing else of greater importance than drinking, than eating, than remembering, than living. Let's spend a moment just reflecting on Jesus' deep, deep words here. And then I'll close in prayer. Oh, dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we praise you that you are a God who loves to rescue your people. That you saw the wickedness and the cruelty which occurred to your people in Egypt, and so you sent Moses to to rescue them. And through your mighty hand, you brought them out. We thank you, Father God, that you love to rescue us. 
And so you have sent your one and only son to die to save us. And through his blood, we can know forgiveness. And we can know life. We pray, Father God, for all those who have not grasped hold of this deep fact and this reality. May they come and may they stand under the blood of the Lamb. And we pray, Father God, for all of us who have walked this path for many years, just standing here, give us a, just a deeper knowledge, intellectually, but also our very hearts, and a deeper joy and a deeper sense of security, knowing that, that we are forgiven and known and loved. And Father God, as we look at a world in chaos and evil men doing evil deeds and wicked and cruel wars, Thank you that you will hold them to account. Thank you that you, they will meet their maker. May your spirit be with us now, Father God, and draw us to yourself. In the name of Jesus, amen.